Morning Meeting is brought to you this week by Christie's New York, home of 20th Century Week from December 2nd to December 4th. Christie's 20th Century Sales showcase the best of post-war and contemporary art, as well as Impressionism, Modernism, and Design. It also features 20th Century Hong Kong to New York, a live-streaming relay sale that combines the excitement of in-person auctions with digital technology. At Christie's New York, they're bringing art closer to the people. Discover more at christies.com backslash airmail. It's November 28th, and you are listening to Morning Meeting. I'm Ashley Baker, the style editor of Airmail. And I'm Michael Haney, the one of the deputy editors of Airmail, and happy Thanksgiving weekend. M- Michael, can we just celebrate the fact that Thanksgiving is over this year? Oh, what are you, like a Grinch about Thanksgiving? I love Thanksgiving. No, generally I love Thanksgiving, like normal people. But this was a depressing Thanksgiving. Let's just call it like it is, okay? No friends, no family, no turkey, at least in my house. Like, we were just, like, trying to get through the situation. Did you eat one of the chickens? We did not eat our own chickens. That would have been too rough. We had pasta. For those of you who are new listeners to the, uh, the morning meeting, I just want to bring a little backstory here. During the sort of depths of the lockdown in what, April, Ashley? March. We got in on this early. <laughs> your your early, adopt, uh, early adapters. <laughs> Ashley and her beautiful two children decided to ha- raise their own chickens and sort of go back to the land on their place out east. And how many chickens did you get in the mail? 21. 21 chickens, and they're now in the backyard of her house. And as I always like to say, it's, it's, our, it's our pilot episode for Green Acres. <laughs> so... None of the chickens made it to the to the table this this year. Not yet. You know, I've become really fond of them. Not yet. You know, your children could be listening to this. Sorry, guys. No, they actually probably are listening to this. Uh, sorry, guys. In addition to learning a lot about Viagra, which thanks to us, my kids now know about, they're learning about the fate of their household pets. No, we will not be killing any of the chickens. We love them like people. We've named them all. They're beautiful and they're wonderful pets. I totally get. You know, I don't want a chicken version of Babe. Okay. <laughs> there will not be a chicken version of Babe. <laughs> no. So let's just soldier ahead and talk about more important issues, like the new episode of Airmail, which is out today. Uh, the new issue of Airmail. Oh, yeah. This is the new episode of Morning Meeting. Episode of Morning that's, that's the new issue that we're talking about on the new episode. But frankly, Airmail should be a TV show, too, because it's so visual. Okay. So I call it an episode, even though technically it's not. There you go. Let's talk about it. What's tickling your fancy? I love the view from here this week. Alessandra wrote it. She's one of my favorite writers. And I'm not just saying that because she's my boss. It's fact. And it's very funny. Yeah. She talks a lot about what Melania and Ivanka look like. And, you know, for me, it's like one long episode of a beauty pageant. And I've always been, I've always remarked on the sameness of all the women in the Trump universe, right? Like whether it's Kaylee McMenemy or Lara Trump or Ivanka Trump, poor Kellyanne Conway even had to get plastic surgery, it seems. But the rest of them all just look so much the same. They're like, you know, beauty pageants from, you know, it's like Miss Illinois from 1994, like the ringlets, the tight dress, the the excessively white teeth, very predictable and also totally unrelated to reality, right? And there's a way they dress and this is not being superficial, but it's really, you know, as like, what are you revealing about yourself when and projecting about yourself through what you wear? And I think Alessandra's looking at that now that we've had four years to look at all this material, right? Four long years, Michael. I cannot wait to be spending more time thinking about our friends, the Bidens. 
Are you riding with Biden? I'm riding with Biden. I'm going to start wearing my aviators. I like Jill's dress that she wore um, for the victory speech, if you will. That was Oscar de la Renta, designed by our friends, Fernando Garcia and Laura Kim. Nicely done, guys. Let's hope there's more ODLR and CH in the future. She also wears a lot of Carolina Herrera, so we'll be paying close attention. There you go. American brands. American brands. Whereas Melania was wearing a lot of Dolce and Gabbana, very controversial figures, by the way, in addition to being Italian fashion designers. Yeah, where I'm ready for a new day. New day. Okay, pop quiz, Michael. Who is Douglas Stewart? Wow, I don't know. See, you won the news quiz last week. Mm-hmm. Oh, did he win the Man Booker Prize? That's correct. Ding, ding, ding. For Shuggy, uh, what is it, Shuggy? Um, Shuggy Bane. Shuggy Bane, right? I love the story. And well, yeah, we're speaking of fashion. It's a great story, right? Oh, it's a fantastic story. So um, Douglas Stewart is a writer in his 40s. This is his debut novel, and he just won the Booker Prize for it. And he spent the first, shall we say half? I don't know. He spent the first few decades of his career as a fashion designer. He worked at Banana Republic, among, among other places, and wrote at night. And he came out with this debut novel about growing up in Scotland in the 80s with a mother who was struggling with addiction. It's just a tearjerker, a gut-wrencher, and you know, an emotional uh, read in all the right ways. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. I encourage all of you to read it. Um, but this is, this is like quite a coup for a first-time novelist, especially one who's coming to the craft professionally a little bit later in life. All right, so moving back to our issue, I guess we have to talk about COVID, unfortunately, because we have a great piece about it by Elena Claverino, who talks about millennials and how they're dealing with this particular moment in time. What do you make of this, Michael? <sighs> do you want me to be the grouchy old man now, speaking of like, you know, old people having their time here? It's how I like you best. Well, let's just talk about what, what, what Elena says here in the piece. And she basically says that millennials have been hit hardest if not very hard by coronavirus and you know everything from like we're we are just i guess they're double whammy we came out of the recession we have so much debt we've lost we our jobs are bubble you know and a lot of things basically saying like this is the straw that broke the back of my generation right and people sort of feeling in 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 the millennial generation like kind of dispirited what's the point and um am i am i giving it fair representation that's fair yeah what am I leaving out? I love this piece and it's so voicey and juicy, but I'm going to go there. I hate these competitions that basically boil down to who has it worst, right? Like millennials have it badly. Young children have it badly. Older people have it badly. I mean, you know, every time I talk to my parents, I say, how's it going, guys? They're in their 70s. And my mom says, well, we're just sitting around waiting to die. I mean, it's not cheery. That's for sure. Um, I think it's hard for everyone. And, you know, millennials, like what, what I like about Elena's piece is she sort of talks on how for Americans born after 1981, unfettered and unprecedented freedom is all they've ever known. So she sort of admits this is a particularly coddled generation uh, that grew up with helicopter parents that were encouraging, but also indulgent. And they thought that the world was their oyster. And it turns out that the world has some setbacks in store. Yeah, and I think I mean, in, in in balance, you know, she also gets some good quotes in there about people who of that generation who got suckered in by, you know, primarily I think through social media. There's a guy in here like uh, who talks about he's got a great quote. Uh, he's a 27 year old medical student, and he says it was all on Instagram. It felt within reach. In other words, like they bought a, a bill of goods, right? Like I can do anything. It's like everything's possible. Well, talk to most people who are not 27 anymore, and like you know, they're saying like. Yeah, it takes 
time and sacrifice and your your mommy and daddy who helicoptered over you made you think everything was possible and they they snowplowed your way through through out of, uh, any any obstacle out of your way and yeah life is tough and life is really tough right now whether you're 27 or 47 or 77 right i think the the point within honest piece that i i i I think has a lot of merit is, you know, the thought that you're tra- you're this generation that's trailing behind the baby boomers, right? Which, as she points out, like has left basically insurmountable deficits, uh, a planet in peril, and, 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 and you know, uh, who knows what. And, and it's sort of when you're falling behind them who were this almost locust generation that sort of came through and devoured everything and has, you know, left a lot to be cleaned up, shall we say. Uh, so I can understand that sense of dispiritedness. Yeah. We're really cheerful here. <laughs> but on a more cheerful note, I, I am starting to think about summer 2021 travel. Oh, yeah. Already? What, what have you booked again? What do you got? I booked. I'm going on a bike trip in Norway in July. I will be biking through the fjords. I'm very excited about this. Not in the fjords, around the fjords, right? Around the fjords. The fjords are the bodies of water, right? Correct. Yep. I need something on the calendar, Michael. It's just too long. You know, it's just too long. It's like, you know, a year and a half of life staying put in my bedroom where I've been recording this podcast. I mean, I love it. It's, you know, I'm fortunate and all the rest, but you know, it's, a, it's starting to feel like a considerable portion of life that we have been uh, immobile. Yeah. Thank goodness we can read. That's the only traveling we're doing these days is of the imaginary sort. Well, I wanted to talk briefly about someone who died this week. The right, do you know the writer Jan Morris? Yes. So Jan Morris, for I'm sure many people at Airmail know, was I would say probably one of the great travel writers of the last 50 years, and she died this past week at 94. Unbelievable life that, and her career began with one of the great anecdotes ever when Thurman Hillary was uh, climbing Mount Everest back in the 50s. Jan Morris, who then was known as James Morris, and I'll get to the why this in a minute, climbed up three quarters of the peak with uh, Hillary, and then sort of stayed at base camp while while Hillary ascended. When Hillary came down, Morris interviewed him, then walked down the mountain with him and had the, the scoop for the world on the first man to climb Everest. Right? Morris goes on to become, as I said, one of the great travel writers. But in the late '60s, he was married. Children had felt uh, through his whole life that he was meant to live as a woman, and he in and went under one of the first gender reassignment surgeries and wrote a fantastic book about it called Conundrum, if you never read it, and became Jan Morris. And Jan Morris wrote, if you're talking actually about reading great travel books, I think if you've never read her book about Venice, uh, her, her book about Manhattan, Manhattan 45, um, even Pax Britannica, which is her kind of great look at at, at uh, United Kingdom, but she was unbelievable writer, and I think an inspiration to so many other writers about how to write about travel, and and so many readers who 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 love to travel. So, um, just kind of wanted to pay tribute to her because she was such a, a force in 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 writing. She was wonderful. Um, it's a good opportunity to revisit her books. You know what I loved about Jan was, you know, she was. I keep calling her a travel writer, but she always said. I'm not a travel writer. I'm a writer who travels. And it was, a, I remember reading that years ago. And when I was a cub reporter in Chicago, before I even came to New York, I worked at a small magazine called Chicago Times. And 
we brought Jan Morris to, to, to Chicago to write about the city. And she said that she didn't drive at the time, but she wanted to go around the city. So I was in an office of just four people. And my boss at the time said, you're going to take this writer around. Her name is Jan Morris. And I'd, what? So I spent two days driving her around the city. Michael, back in the Chicago days. The yeah. Stay back in the way back machine. Dude, I want to hear more about this. By the way, is your mom going to send some banana bread for me next week? I'm not kidding. Did you want some, really? Yes, I do. I need a little cheering up, okay? And your mom makes the sure. best banana bread west of the Mississippi. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, my mother my mother sends me a loaf of banana bread about every 10 days. And in lockdown, she has sort of expanded that to be sending it sort of around the country to various people. So, actually, I will put you on the list. Please do. Sure. I know Alessandra gets some, and I'm a little jealous. Don't forget, one of the great fall traditions in New York is happening right now. The 20th Century Sales at Christie's. This season, you can see masterworks from Pablo Picasso, Joan Mitchell, Andy Warhol, Yayoi Kusama, and many others. The auctions chart the development of modern art from 1900 to today and feature a wide-ranging selection in a multi-city sales format. Discover highlights and learn more at christies.com backslash airmail. Michael, thank God we've got one icon joining us today. We need it. Chef Thomas Keller, restaurateur Thomas Keller, and cookbook author Thomas Keller. There is no one quite as synonymous with fine dining in the United States is this guy. He has restaurants that we know and love, like the French Laundry, Ad Hoc, Bouchon Bakery, Per Se. And he has a new cookbook that's just come out, and it's called The French Laundry, Per Se. And we really uh, are thrilled to have Chef on the show. He's also done our perfect ending questionnaire and the issue this week. So if you want to know all about his favorite little things, that is the place to find them. Welcome, Chef Keller. Chef, this is an interesting time for you to come out with your first cookbook in 10 years. It's called The French Laundry Per Se. Um, tell us a little bit about where you were at when you started working on this. Yeah, you know, I wanted to name it. It's not the, it's not the French Laundry Per Se, because that was the phrase I would always use when we were planning Per Se. People would say, is it, is it going to be like the French Laundry? And I would say, no, it's not like the French Laundry Per Se. And that's kind of where the name came from. So that's what I wanted the title of the book to be. It was the one battle that I lost with my publisher, because... They felt the word not was the negative connotation. Therefore, it should be used in the title. So we settled on French Laundry per se, which is fine. And you you think about this book and and its beginning. It began, you know, in 1994 when we opened when we opened the French Laundry. Um, In 1996, the summer, the spring, summer and fall of 1996 is when we wrote the French Laundry cookbook which was really, for me, a true honor and something that was very special and something that I didn't ever think I was going to do again. It was, you know, it was my book at the French Laundry. Um, I got to tell the stories or some of the stories I wanted to tell. You know, it's a snapshot like any cookbook is. It's a snapshot of a time and place. Um, you know, the recipes are of time and place. It's just like the French Laundry per se is of a time and place and in, uh, in 2018. It's the stories that I think are the most important to me as well as some of the techniques and skills that you can learn from from our cookbooks. And I, I don't think any of them are any different. Right? I mean, Bouchon, Bouchon Bakery, Ad Hoc, Under Pressure, they all 
fall in with that same type of philosophy in storytelling and learning skill and technique. There are recipes there, of course, but the recipes to me are the least important part or the compositions, I should say, are the least important part of the book. Um, it's some of the sub recipes that are that are really meaningful for those certainly at home who don't have the skill level or the equipment that we have in our restaurants or don't have the staff, don't have access to some of the ingredients and things like that. But the important thing to remember is that per se, it was born from the French Laundry. Ten years later, when Per Se opened, part of that process was closing the French Laundry, which you know historically has never been done, was never done, and has never been done since to close one restaurant to take a good part of its team members and move them to another location to open another restaurant. You know, it was kind of like Noah's Ark, if you will. There was over thirty team members from all different departments of all different skills and disciplines that actually moved to New York for three months. And that in itself was a huge undertaking. I'd love to touch on one of the great traditions that you have at Per Se, which is your first time diner's lunch. So this question comes to you from my seven-year-old son, who was fortunate enough to visit last year, and he wants to know where you get your caviar. Caviar is interesting. You know, when you look at you look at the history of caviar, much like lobsters or some, some of the things that we've become luxury ingredients, caviar was something back in the turn of the last century that would be given away free in front of beer joints in New York City so that entice customers to go inside and drink beer, right? So give them salted caviar, they'll go inside and have a beer because the beer was more valuable than the caviar was at the time. Because sturgeon, you know, proliferated throughout the entire world in, in every in every river. You know, Hudson River was full of sturgeon. So our, our, our caviar, you know, which is a resurgence of, of a community uh, and an industry here in California, the Sacramento Delta, uh, again, we're, we're, we're sturgeon, we're prolific, uh, and I've bought back and farmed. And we've worked with, with sterling caviar over the past 25 years in a collaborative effort to raise the quality of what they do. And, you know, we're proud today that, you know, we're using farm products from, from, from America, from the U.S., and from California, you know, as, as one of our caviar selections in our restaurants. We sell it to a company called Regis Ova. I'm proud to be a partner with, uh, with a woman who is probably one of the most knowledgeable individuals on sturgeon and caviar in, in the world, uh, and certainly quality. Chef, I have an important question. It's not as important as <laughs> Ashley's. They never are. This is coming out right after Thanksgiving. I want to know, I've got my turkey leftovers. What's chef's favorite way to prepare a turkey sandwich? That's really simple. So it's got to be Wonder Bread, extra mayonnaise, salt and freshly ground pepper, and slices of the turkey breast. And that's, that's it. Yeah, not a lot of turkey either. So it has to be kind of like this proportionally correct. Salt the matter? It's like some, fran- some, some fancy salt or am I just using table salt? No, you would want to use something like molded salt, which is a little, a little coarser grind. Right. I like okay. molded salt because it's shaved as opposed to ground. Uh, it just feels better on my tongue. That'll be the first time I've ever put Malden salt on, on Wonder Bread, but there's a first for everything, so that's what I love. And then, and then, and then the alternate to that is really good as well as toasting the bread. I like toast, so I'm going to do that. I'm glad I got your permission on it. I didn't <laughs> want to ask. I was too embarrassed, but now I know. Well, it depends. You know, it's all on how much you want that bread to stick to the roof of your mouth. <laughs> You know, and, and, and for me, it's that childhood memory, right, of getting a peanut butter and jelly sandwich at school, right? My mother would make, and you'd take that first bite, and, of course, everything just kind of, kind of goes to the roof of your mouth, and, and you're trying to get it off. And so, you know. Ashley's son does not have that problem. He's got lot. He's trying all. to get lobster out of his teeth. He doesn't <laughs> have that problem. That's fault. 
Well, Steph, we want to be mindful of your time, but thank you so much for joining us. It's always such a treat to speak with you and to be reminded of how much we love uh, the great tradition that you and your colleagues have created in American Fine Dining. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's great to see you guys. Have a wonderful holiday. and Happy Thanksgiving to you, Chef. Wherever you go, stay safe, okay? It's important. Well, and we hope to see you back in person, back at the French Laundry very soon. First trip after lockdown for us. You will. Okay. You let us know, okay? Michael, I mean, it doesn't get any better than Thomas Keller. You know my other offer to you, Ashley? Please. Remember I told you last week that I'm parsing out the crown so that I can have something to look forward to. I'm I'm treating it like it was this I'm some pretty I'm treating it like I'm watching HBO in 1998 and I'm waiting for the Sopranos every week. That's how I'm treating it. So I watched episode 2 last night. So I'm up to episode 2 if you want to talk about that. Episode one or two, I'm with you. All right. I don't, I'm already on episode four, so I don't remember what happened in episode four. Episode two is when Diana goes to Balmoral. And Margaret Thatcher, by the way, can we just give Gillian Anderson the Emmy right now? I know. Like, enough with this middling. Let's just award it already. She deserves it. And if you've ever seen the Meryl Streep version of uh, Margaret Thatcher, I mean, Gillian Anderson makes her look like she's a high school thespian. Oh, for sure. But my favorite moment, my metaphor moment, as a, as a, as appreciating Morgan's writing in this, mm-hmm. when uh, the Duke of Edinburgh and she go out to hunt the stag, right, to stalk the stag, and they're about to take—he's about to take the shot, right—and he just says to her, sort of casually, like, to gauge his shot, the wind is from the right, and she says, "No, it's from the left," and he says, "It's the right," and she says, "No, it's the left. Look at the clouds." Right. Mm. And then he goes silent and he just, and of course, he then adjusts for what she said. And so, what I love about that little exchange is here's this family, as you've seen through their treatment of Margaret Thatcher earlier. And they like, they, this family is isolated. They have no idea which way the wind is blowing in their country right now and which way. And here's this woman who comes in, like, she's going to tell them which way the wind blows and, and be this sort of, this, this wind that blows it wide open as well. So that's how I read that scene. And that's why I love Peter Morgan's writing. And this is why we love having you as a co-host of Morning Meeting, Michael. I was just going to talk about the bulimia on the dresses. You're giving us some real context here. <laughs> um, <laughs> Can we talk to you about the scene with Margaret Thatcher, you know, playing that stupid parlor game with the burned cork and everything? I forgot what it was called. Ippy Dibby or something, right? Ippy Dibby, whatever. I mean, we have all been there, haven't we? Like you're at, you're at no. some hellish party. Usually, frankly, around the, this time of year, you know, dealing with like a, a room full of, you know, perhaps someone that you would think was a deplorable, right? Um, playing a stupid game trying to smile along like, oh, it's the worst feeling. And we all know exactly what it feels like. And this poor Margaret Thatcher, this brilliant, accomplished, talented woman has to endure this because it's part of the job. It was such a good reminder that we all have to put up with this stuff from time to time. Right. And not, and not only there, but also when you're the outsider, right, as she is. And mm-hmm. we've all been in that situation where the outsider coming in to this, whether it's a family like this or a, 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 a clannish kind of work group, right? And here's the prime minister, working class roots, and, you know, none of this has no time or patience for for any of this and just wants to get out with the job of 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 remaking the UK has to play Ibby Dibby with. Here's a good thing that's going to happen. That's not going to happen this Christmas season. What? A good thing that's not going to happen. And it's good. It's not going to happen. SantaCon. Oh, finally an upside. You know what? Actually, okay. these, these people no who do SantaCon are probably 
like COVID deniers, Michael. So something tells me we're not going to get out of it this easily. Okay, but at least, you know, and maybe this is where all those millennials will end up. Like they're the ones always like walking around our neighborhood vo- in in shorty Santa outfits, vomiting on each other. Michael, we have we have a lot of international listeners here, so you're going to need to explain what SantaCon is. Okay, SantaCon is usually like two a weekend or two before Christmas, and it happens on a Saturday, and all of a sudden you walk out your if you're if you're if you're not in this world, you walk out your Saturday, you're out your, your house one Saturday afternoon, maybe even morning because it starts pretty, the day drinkers start like around 11 as soon as the bars open. And you see people primarily under their 30s dressed in, whether it's a Santa outfit or a little sexy elf outfit or um, maybe a Grinch outfit or anything that has to do with, or even like they wear like little like, PJs, like they've just gotten up to open their gifts on on, on Christmas Day. And while it is, is is a gigantic pub crawl. I think many of you know what a pub crawl is. So they just spend all day walking around various neighborhoods from bar to bar getting, I think the French call it shit-faced. So by five o'clock, they've been drinking for eight, nine hours. And then then they start to leave sort of different versions of fruitcake all over the street. Once again, we have delivered an optimistic, uplifting edition of Morning Meeting. And on that note, Michael, please read us out. I'd be delighted to. Morning Meeting is produced by Airmail Productions and edited by Jesse Cannon. Our co-editors are Graydon Carter and Alessandra Stanley. Our chief operating officer is Bill Keenan, and our deputy editors are Nathan King and Chris Garrett. Our CMO is Emily Davis, and our music supervisor is Randall Poster. Our theme music is The Cute Monster by Buddy Colette Quintet. A new edition of Airmail is published every Saturday, so please do subscribe and enjoy all of our stories on airmail.news, which is updated every day. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Airmail Weekly, and you can find me, Michael, and the lovely and talented and smart Ashley as well on Instagram. We'll be back here next Saturday with another edition of Morning Meeting. In the meantime, be sure and subscribe at Apple Music or Spotify. Most of all, Thank you for joining us and enjoy the long weekend. We'd like to thank Christie's New York for their support this week. The series will culminate with the day sales featuring the collection of Morton and Barbara Mandel, which will offer works from leading artists such as Cy Twombly and design masters such as Francois Xavier Lalonde. Viewing is by appointment only beginning November 20th at the Rockefeller Center Galleries. In the meantime, you can view all the works in depth online or then view the sales in person or online from December 2nd through the 4th. Learn more at christies.com backslash airmail.